God honors our decisions when our decisions fall under His will. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Word of God. This is our 32nd time. Very excited about that as we go through the Bible. And you know, today we focus on the book of Judges. This is amazing. Corey is here and Ryan is here. Let's see what they have to say. Go, Corey. Well, I'm going to be taking a look at what the ancient book of Judges describes as bad worship decisions on the part of ancient Israel. Ryan? Today I'm talking about the ancient lock and key and how the key actually became an emblem of honor and authority. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. I have a theory on keys, but anyway, <laughs> that's interesting. What are you going to study? Praise brings victory. All right. Praise brings victory. That is excellent. And we look forward to that. It's all coming up in the next 28 minutes. So take some time with us and let's open up the Bible and listen to God. Judges 1, verses 8 through 15. Now the city of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward, the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains, in the south, and in the lowland. Then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kirjath Arba. And they killed Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai. From there they went against the inhabitants of Deber. The name of Deber was formerly Kirjath Sefer. Then Caleb said, Whoever attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it, to him I will give my daughter Aksa as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. So he gave him his daughter Aksa as wife. Now it happened, when she came to him, that she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? So she said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Judges chapter 1 Verses 8 through 15. Judges chapter 1, 2, and 3. This is what we read as we continue to go through the Bible in one year. Now, Caleb was a man who trusted in God. When the 12 spies were commissioned by Moses to go into the promised land, following Israel's release from Egypt, well, it was Caleb who believed the promise of God. You see, Caleb trusted God and his ability rather than fear of the difficult circumstances facing Israel and himself. Now, God told Moses that because Caleb and Joshua had trusted in him above all else, they would be allowed to go into the promised land. And today we read in the book of Judges that God promises and they continue, even though the other leaders had perished. Now, keeping in mind that God never abandons his original call to humanity, 
even though we many times abandon him. God continues to honor his faithfulness as we need to continue obeying the Lord as long as we live, beloved. We need to do that. That's something very hard for us to do. Uh, today, this is an interesting passage, and uh, if you don't have your Bible guide, you can get yours by calling or writing to us, or you can go to Bible Discovery TV and click on the Bible guide, and it'll take you to a donate page. And I want to say very specifically, thank you for your donations. They are very important and very meaningful, so thank you for that. But also, it'll take you to a page where you can download the Bible guide as it looks, so you can follow us. You're seconds away from following us if you do that. Today we're talking about Caleb is honored and we're going to pray today. Father, help us as we begin to really hone in and to study Joshua chapter one. And as we do that, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, open up our hearts and open up our minds to hear what you're saying. That's important, Lord. We don't need to read into the Bible what our ideas are. We need to hear what you're saying to our hearts. And in Jesus' name, people who are open to hear you, speak to them today, Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen. Now, the scripture is absolutely fascinating in the book of Judges. So let's go to the book, the first chapter, and let's go along to the first seven verses. Let's begin with verse eight. Here's what it says. Now, the children of Judah, that, that tribe name means praise. The children of Judah fought against Jerusalem, and they took it. They took Jerusalem. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward, the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains in the south and in the lowland. And then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kerjath Arabah. And they killed Shashiah. Hyman and Talamei. From there they went against the inhabitants of Deber. The name of Deber was formerly Kerjath Sefer. Now this is fascinating. We begin to see how Israel is taking over. And Israel continues to take ownership of the land given to Abraham years before by God. What does that mean? It means God's covenants never change. God's covenants never changed. Past, present, or future. Past, present, or future. God's covenants never change. And my thinking is, as we read the Bible and begin to understand what God says, we need to understand there's a covenant that God made with Israel. And there's a covenant with the Jewish people. And there's a covenant God makes with us as believers in Jesus Christ. And beloved, our best effort to get with his covenant instead of coming up with our own ideas. That's a really good idea for us because that keeps us alive, keeps us focused. So keep that in your heart and your mind because we need to consider that. Judges chapter one, verse 12 says, Then Caleb said, Whoever attacks Kajareth Sefer and takes it to him, I will give my daughter Agsa as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. And so he gave him his daughter, Aksai, as a wife. Wow, that's impressive. This guy, Othniel, was an amazing guy. God honors 
our decisions when we are in his will. God honors our decisions when we are in his will. As we seek God's purpose, God provides. He does. Beloved, may I say today that we must begin as a country, as a people, and as a group of followers of Christians, we must begin to follow God's ways and consider his word. You know, all of the constitutions in the world are great, but this is the only one that is God's word, the Bible, the 66 books written by the 40 authors over thousands of years, yet all with the same theme, Jesus Christ. Very, very important. Well, let's go on to the next passage of scripture because it is also very important. Listen carefully. Here is what it says in verse 14. Now it happened when she came to him that she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you wish? So she said to him, Give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. I'll tell you, this, this is something else. Caleb gave his daughter what she asked for. Beloved, this is what God does for us. We need to be honest with God about doing his will. Let me say that. If we are doing the will of God or seeking the will of God and we say, Lord, I want your help. I need your help because I want to do what you've said. I don't want to do what I've said or what feels good or makes me, makes me, yeah, I want justice. That's not what, Lord, you said I want to do your will. I must do your will. So I'm going to do your will, whatever that means. Ultimately, justice will be done. But it's important for me not to feed my emotions and feed all that but to do what's right for your will, because I belong to you, Lord. That's how a Christian should think. I belong to you, Lord. And, and sometimes I get hurt deeply by people. So help me, Holy Spirit, to forgive those individuals. Because in the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive the others who've trespassed against us. We have trespassed many times on people and many times on the Lord. And we say, Lord, forgive me of those trespasses as I forgive others who've trespassed against me. This idea of forgiveness is so very important in the kingdom of God. And beloved, we need to hear that the Lord forgives us and helps us through his Holy Spirit. I mean, it's, uh, it's difficult. It's one thing to say you're sorry to someone, and it's another thing to ask them to forgive you. Very different. One thing to be sorry for someone, very different to ask them to forgive you. They have to think about this. They have to consider this. So, beloved, today we need to pray and ask God to show us his way with the people around us, the people we see and the relationships we have. Help us not to make enemies, but help us to make friends. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there.
Today we read Judges chapters 1 to 3. And you know, one of my very favorite persons in the Bible is the Judge Ehud. He was a left-handed man from the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin was really known for its warriors. And Ehud, well, he's no exception. He was given to the Israelites by God to deliver them from the hand of the king of Moab. And actually, it's his account, believe it or not, that spurred me on to do a study on ancient locks and keys. Because Judges chapter 3 records that after he assassinated the king, he went out to the porch, he shut the doors of the upper room behind him, and he locked them. Now, as I did some further research on this, I discovered that possessors of the key to these locks were looked upon with great power and authority. And the key, even to this day, remains a symbol of honor. Check it out. In our modern age, being awarded the key to the city is a symbol of great honor and respect. Although this key is only ornamental and non-functional, in medieval times this was an actual key which opened the actual gates of the city. Because the possessor of such a key could come and go as he pleased, he was seen as someone of honor, trust, and power. Yet this concept is far more ancient in origin than even the medieval era. In fact, it might be as old as the lock itself. Perhaps the earliest locks were those of the ancient East, which used a technique of falling pins. This lock, common to Egypt and Israel, consisted of a wooden slide drawn into its place by a string, and fastened there by teeth or catches. The lock itself is a long hollow piece of wood fixed in the door which slides back and forth. A hole is made for it in the doorpost, and when it is pushed into this hole, small bolts of iron wire fall into holes which are made for them in the top of the lock. The lock is placed on the inside of the door, and a hole is made in the door near the lock, through which the hand can be passed and the key inserted. This helps to explain the Song of Solomon chapter 5 verse 4, where it says, My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door. The keys to these locks were usually made of wood, although in Egypt some have been found of iron and bronze. The ordinary wooden key is from 6 inches to 2 feet long, often having a handle of brass or silver ornamented with filigree work. At the end there are wire pins which are designed to loosen the fastenings of the lock. Due to their large size, these ancient keys were carried upon the shoulder. And since possession of such keys was taken as evidence of property or trust, the key became an emblem of wealth and authority. This concept is very evident throughout the Bible. For example, in Isaiah 22:22, God says of Eliakim, The key of the house of David I will lay upon his shoulder. Not only is this figuratively expressing the authority given to Eliakim, but as treasurer, he quite literally bore upon his shoulder the key to the royal chambers, which meant he had the authority to decide who was and who was not allowed to enter to see the king. Similarly, Jesus uses the word keys figuratively as a sign of authority in Matthew 16:19, when he declares to the apostle Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Truly, this concept is very, very ancient, and to this day, the key remains an emblem of power, honor, and authority. So this whole idea of being awarded the key to the city today is actually a very ancient concept. As you witness, the key both figuratively and literally represented power and authority. And as I said, we see this throughout the Bible. So now, next time you're reading about such things, you'll have the key to understand. So this is important because when somebody's given the key to a city, it's a, 
it in a sense it gives them power and authority in the city mm -hmm. so that's absolutely yeah <laughs> so the keys you know they represent uh, having to lock something because somebody will take it which breaks of course the commandments of god but that's a it's a reminder of sin so there you go that's that's the only way that i i could think of that anyway corey go ahead all right well in the first three chapters of judges which is our assigned reading today in the bible discovery guide uh, the author lets us know pretty quickly and in no uncertain terms that the children of israel had walked away essentially from their covenant with god especially in the form of worship they had begin begun to intermarry with the people of canaan and uh, they had begun to engage in worship practices with them, worshiping the various Baals, which is translated lords, and uh, Asherim, or uh, the different Asherah goddesses. So today, you and I are going to be focusing in on this pagan worship, but first, from the perspective of what is or who was Asherah or these Asherim, take a look. The word Asherah and its plural Asherim are in the Bible many times in reference to worship practices that were forbidden to the Israelites. While one of the traditional interpretations of Asherah, Asherim, is as a pagan goddess, the Bible's usage of the word isn't always as straightforward. Sometimes the Bible's usage does seem to indicate a goddess. In 1 Kings 18, the prophet Elijah refers to 450 prophets of the known pagan god Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. Also, idols and graven images of Asherah are mentioned. However, in other biblical references, the word Asherah is presented as a tree, a tree trunk, or a wooden pole. And in many cases, the plural Asherim is used. In the ancient Jewish Mishnah, three kinds of Asherah are mentioned. A tree, a tree trunk cut and trimmed, and an idol. The concept of a goddess associated with a tree is very well attested to in the ancient Near East. The goddess that most scholars identify as the precursor to Asherah is an early Canaanite goddess whose names are linguistically connected to Asherah and who was seen as the mother of the gods. She was revered as the god of the home and love and was the spouse of the chief god El, who was eventually replaced by Baal. Asherah is linked to Baal in the Bible. The older goddess's symbol was the sacred tree flanked by two animals or humans who were reaching up to eat the tree's fruit. While there are no mentions of Asherah in Canaanite literature, the Bible's picture of a goddess and trees and wooden poles line up with this earlier goddess's description. It seems Asherah was a goddess and her symbol was the tree. Disturbingly, though it was forbidden, the worship of Asherah in Israel and Judah seems to have flourished. Several inscriptions have been found that contain a blessing formula to bring prosperity by God and his Asherah. These formulas date to just before the time of Hezekiah, king of Judah, putting into context for us the challenge he faced in attempting to rally the nation back to a biblical method of worship. So there we go. You know, we see almost immediately ancient Israel once again being pulled by the culture that surrounds them and just giving into the culture because it would have been the natural thing for them to do. They had to coexist with these people that they were not able to, to get out of the land. And so it was easier to just merge with them than it was to stay faithful to God. And you know, this is a common human problem. We see this in our lives today and in the church today. It is so much easier if we just accept 
what our cultural morality is rather than biblical morality. So I, I know that's a bit of a jump, but it's similar. It's the same concept in that Israel here, it was easier for them to just adopt the ways of the people around them. They didn't have to be so different. They could get along better and easier with the people, but it was still the wrong decision for them to make. So, you know, when the Bible talks about them worshiping the various Asherahs and the Baals, we just looked at what the Asherah and the Asherim were, but the Baals were various local gods. And when we get into looking at some of the surviving records from later on in the time period of the kings, uh, we, we notice even a very disturbing thing where the Israelites would even mix the worship of the God of the Bible with the God of these Baals, so much so that they would say, oh, it's like Yahweh of this city or Yahweh of this high place, insinuating that there's different versions of Yahweh. So they essentially merged Baal worship with Yahweh worship, which is exactly what they were not supposed to do. It's very explicitly outlined in their covenant, in the Ten Commandments, uh, and in their covenant renewal ceremony on Mount Ebal. That's very interesting, Corey, because uh, we, we don't have time here, but we could get into a discussion on cultures today. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, uh, but, but God- It's concerning. It is, mm -hmm. and God is not a culture. God is the Lord over all. Mm -hmm. And so as we look at the Bible and live according to the Bible, we understand how God wants us to live. Well, and this is why this is why we see like we'll see great kings of the Bible, for example, King Josiah, when he got a hold of the copy of the law, the covenant that the, that Israel had originally made with God and he read it, he went into mourning because all mm -hmm. of a sudden he realized how far away they actually were insinuating that beforehand he didn't understand how far away they were because it was just natural. It was the culture that he received. He knew who Yahweh was. He was worshiping Yahweh in his own way. And it's the same with us. Mm -hmm. that, like there, there's a proverb that says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it is death. So we don't have it all figured out on our own. And that's the purpose of us going through the Bible and, and reading it and studying it and trying to understand it. Because when we finally do understand it, we realize, oh man, some of the things that I thought were right actually aren't right. It's morality yeah. isn't always intuitive in and that way. And of course, Josiah was the good king of Judah, the last good king of Judah. Uh, and we'll talk about that later. Jen? And we can't leave it up to somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to just say, well, I go to church on Sunday. Yeah. Or I watch this pastor online. I trust that, this or person. Or I trust this. You yeah. need to get the word into your own heart and read it with your own understanding and, and have that relationship with God yourself when you have those questions. It's great to, don't get me wrong, it's, it's good to have a pastor, it's good to listen to biblical teaching, but you also need to take that responsibility personally mm -hmm. for yourself and then to teach that to your children. That's what the word of God says, that that's what we're supposed to do. Get it in our heart and mind and teach it to our children and to the next generation. All right, finish with that rant, on to this one. Praise brings victory. If you've watched this program for more than this year, you'll know that I have spoken about this particular passage before, but I wanna bring it up again because I think it's so very exciting and it's just a, a, a very small detail that has an impact, at least it did for me. The book of Judges, um, we're, we're looking here at the continuing conquest of Canaan by the Israelites. And uh, Joshua has died. So the very first verse of 
Judges chapter 1 says, Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Verse 2, And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. Now, what I want to focus on here is the tribe of Judah. The name Judah means to praise Yahweh. And when I read this scripture years ago, it jumped out at me that God sent Judah. It's the praise of Yahweh that went first to conquer the promises that God had given to the Israelites. Does that make sense to you? It's the praise of Yahweh that was sent in to begin the conquering of what God had promised. And you know what? It's the same with us. We need to give our praise to God as we move forward in what He has promised to us. And there are days when we don't feel like praising. There are troubled times. There are seasons in our life that we we may feel very distant from God. But that is not an excuse for us not to give God praise. We must always praise God and He will help us through those difficult times. And in fact, He is such a good and wonderful and perfect Father that even as we go through these times, He teaches us because He loves us and we become strong in the Lord. Our faith begins to build. Does our faith build because we're getting so much bigger and stronger? Our faith builds because we understand more about who God is, and that enables our strength in the faith of God. So here we see that God chose praise. He chose Judah, the tribe of Judah, to go in and to begin to conquering the land that God had promised to them. And yes, you know what? They had their struggles along the way, and we will too. But if we continue to praise God, He is faithful to us. Today, as we conclude the program, I want to thank you for joining us and spending the time seeking God's Word now. We'll pray for you three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 to 4.30, live on Facebook and YouTube. If you join us there, also on Bible Discovery TV, join us live and we'll pray for you. Today we pray, Lord, I want to seek your will. I want to seek your way in my life. I need to seek your way and your will every day of my life. 